Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In this episode, we take up the first appearance of the Romulans in Balance of Terror. Compliance. The Final Frontier. Tom Fox is the voyager of trekking through compliance. His mission? To explore the original series and seek out and share what it can teach you about compliance. Here's your host, Tom Fox. The Menagerie, Part 2, Stardate 3012.4. In Part 2, the tape recording show continues and it shows Pike confined to a cell. He discovers that the Talosians are illusionists capable of making a man see anything they wish him to see, and telepaths who can communicate without speaking. The Talosians wish, wish Pike to remain on the planet as Venus' mate. Meanwhile, the crew of the Enterprise beams the ship's power down to the surface in a fruitless attempt to blast through the mountain where the Talosians seem to disappear with Pike. However, this had no effect, and the Talosians continue their mind games with Pike. The Talosians reenact Pike's encounter on Rigel 7 in his head, but they add Vena. In this enactment, Pike kills the beast who is attacking them and then is returned to his cell with Vena. Vena tells him that the Talosians retreated underground after a war 2,000 years ago and have developed stunning mental powers. She also reveals that she is a real human and not an illusion. Pike discovers that the Talosians cannot penetrate primitive strong emotions with their telepathy. The next virtual reality trip for Pike and Vena is at Pike's farm on Earth, complete with his horse, Tango. As Pike uses this opportunity to scheme, Vena has the Talosians shift venues to a Roman court, with Vena playing a part of a green Orion dancing slave girl. Again, Pike does not cooperate. Meanwhile, a landing party of six from the Enterprise beams down an attempt to find Pike, but only number one and a female yeoman actually arrive. The Talosians now give Pike a selection of specimens for starting a human community of slaves. Instead, Pike uses the phasers brought down by the landing party as bait and captures one of the Talosians as he tries to recover them from a sliding panel in the side of his cell. Pike fires one of the phasers through the wall, seeing no effect, but forces a Talosian to show him the hole which was produced or, or else have the non-functional phaser tested on his head. Pike and the women escape to the surface, but it turns out that it was actually the first part of the Talosian's plan to repopulate the surface. The Talosians learn of Pike and humankind's unshakable hatred of captivity, and this forces them to let the Enterprise crew go as the humans appear too violent a species for their need. Before Pike leaves, he discovers that Venus' beauty is illusional, as she is actually severely deformed in the Columbia's crash and put as she was put back together by the Talosians. All of this is viewed by the court-martial committee on the Enterprise. However, when the tape is complete, Mendez disappears, and it turns out he was an illusion used to distract Kirk from regaining control of the Enterprise. Kirk and the authorization 
Kirk with the authorization of Star Trek, who have also been viewing the images from Talos IV, permit the now-disfigured Pike to transport to Talos IV. All charges against Spock are dropped, and the Enterprise continues on its way. Kirk speaks to Spock about a tendency towards flagrant emotionalism, but Spock quips, I see no reason to insult me, sir. I've been completely logical about the whole affair. So, what's the fun fact for today's episode? That parts one and two of The Menagerie won the 1967 Hugo Award for the Best Dramatic Presentation. In addition to this being one of Gene Roddenberry's favorite episodes, it's one of my favorite episodes, too. Obviously, the first appearance of the Romulans is uber cool, and even having Mark Leonard uh, not be Spock's father was pretty cool as well. This was essentially a submarine war episode because both ships were in space, but uh, this would have been a World War II submarine movie between the U.S. and the Nazis or the U.S. and the Japanese where neither foe could see each other. So you have to create tension uh, really by focusing on the crew, and this in this episode they really did a great job. Uh, the tension was great. Uh, you know, I've mentioned the racism several times. Uh, that's very disturbing. This was in the 60s, I would say. Would have hoped to have said there was more racism now. But unfortunately, after Donald Trump, racism is back de rigueur. Um, so uh, racism still bedevils the United States. It's still our original sin of slavery. And we don't seem to be able to have uh, come much further than the 60s. So it's something that you have to be hyper vigilant for uh, in your organization. But it also shows the power uh, when you make decisions that are not race-based, as when Spock did uh, when he hauled the guy out of the phaser room where the coolant uh, was poisoning uh, he and his comrade or his colleague. So uh, this uh, part of the show was very powerful. But the, uh, basically, this is a submarine movie, and we've seen, we see this several times forward uh, up until literally uh, Star Trek, uh, this current TV series, uh, which is a predecessor to this version of the Enterprise. So it's a great way to build tension. It's a great way to tell stories, and it's a great way to focus on characters. And I'd like to end maybe with that thought for you. Uh, I've talked a lot about storytelling and in compliance, but this really gives you a way to tell a story focusing on the characters. And if you want to tell a story for your compliance training or your communications, focus on the characters. Uh, focus on what they're feeling, what they're thinking uh, before they engage in actions. And I think that will help your storytelling and make your storytelling and compliance uh, more interesting Uh, more effective, and uh, what we all want is more engagement. So um, use characters in storytelling. Next up, compliance takeaway. So what are some of the compliance lessons from this episode? Well, probably the biggest overriding lesson was that of racism. Styles is blatantly racist in this case, in this episode, He hates the Romulans, even though he's never seen the Romulans. And indeed, no Earther has ever seen a Romulan. So uh, his prejudice goes to Mr. Spock when it appears that the Romulans 
And the Vulcans, at one point in their prior history, were had common ancestors. And this racism and prejudice permeates the episode. Kirk makes clear that there is no room for prejudice on his bridge. And as a CCO, you must make clear there is no room for prejudice in your organization. But this is beyond racial prejudice. This is... Uh, fairness. This is treating people fairly. Obviously, overt racism, I think, is something that most companies have taken out of the workplace, although unfortunately, uh, with the rise of the alt-right and Trumpism, this racism has reappeared in American society in full force. But most corporations are able to keep this out of the workplace. But it goes further than simply racism. You have to have fairness, and you have to have consistency, and you have to treat people the same under the same set of rules. And as a CCO, this is all a part of what your task and remit is. Second, uh, many companies understand the need, and many CCOs understand the need for a speak-up culture, but a speak-up culture is more than having people who are willing to speak up. A speak-up culture is also listening So have you trained your middle management on how to listen when someone comes in with a complaint or other issue that they need to raise? This has become increasingly important, and I'm reminded of one company in an employee survey who found that employees said they they really wanted to report issues to their direct supervisor and not report anonymously or non-anonymously through a hotline or other reporting system. Uh, and the company realized it had not trained its middle management around this issue. So train middle management, uh, give them the tools, tell them uh, how to listen and then how to report back up to the organization. And then finally, uh, one of the key things I think that came out of the Me Too movement was not simply increased awareness of harassment, but the requirement that if someone sees something happening, it is the responsibility now of the person who sees it to say something. That means if you're a witness to racism, if you're a witness to discrimination, if you're a witness to prejudice, you now have an obligation to speak up, to raise this issue, not simply to go to protect the person who may be attacked, who may be harassed, who may be discriminated against, but I think Uh, a more responsible culture and a more responsible CCO would advocate for other people to speak up when they see something as opposed to simply when it happens to them. So if you see something, say something. I hope you'll join us tomorrow for our next episode when we take up the fan favorite shore leave. This is Tom Fox. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Trekking Through Compliance, you can help it grow by sharing it with the biggest Trek fan you know. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.